You are listening to the Resonate Church Sermon Podcast. Resonate is a collegiate church planning network in the Northwest. If you'd like to learn more, please visit us at resonate.net. What's up, Resonate? We are in this second week of really walking towards what it means to follow Jesus' command for disciple-making and for us to be able to kind of recognize really what that means for our lives and how we engage in that and, and really just how it is that we begin to make that a part of our lives. And so um, one of the things that I really love is finding out or just recognizing these, uh, these moments when, uh, when something went horribly wrong, and for some reason it just, it makes, it's funny to me. And so one of my favorite things is, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen those, those pictures uh, that really illustrate uh, this idea of you had one job. And so uh, I just, I love them. So um, I brought some of them for us today. And so here we go. Um, you had one job. Um, there you might be able to see. Man, how did that go wrong? You had a finite amount of things. Uh, This one's a little bit more obscure, so let me tell you uh, the next one. It's from the movie Jurassic Park. Does that make sense? Uh, They added that in. Um, He had one job, to not let the dinosaurs get out. Failure. Um, He had one job. How do you drink this? How did you drink this? This is ridiculous. Somebody was trying to figure out what to, what to do with it. You had one job. <laughs> How did someone say, absolutely, approve the final product, uh, the prototype, put it, to, uh, put it to market, nailed it. How about this? <laughs> Spider-Man. <laughs> There's a lot of confusion uh, out there about a lot of things. Um, This might be adding to it. Um, So, how about this one? (laughs) Takes us just a a second to be able to get this, right? Um, (laughs) Let's keep it that way. I love that. They're just doubling down on it. Let's keep it that way. We're not going to change anything. This is who we are. Proudly a cultural value of our workplace. (laughs) Or drug place. (laughs) Who thought, man, okay, how many people have hit this? How many people are those people deep in conversations, you know, and they're just like, what happened? I was going up holding the rail. Man, I wonder um, if there's some people that just sit and watch people go on on this. And so if you're trying to get to a certain place, you might be confused. (laughs) Where is this place? (laughs) Where is this place? You go south on 71. Um, sometimes I wonder if uh, as people are actually creating these things, they're actually guilty of the very thing that they're trying to create a, a sign about. Don't drink and drive. <laughs> it might be that there was a work-free drug place that he was a part of. Uh, <laughs> What I love about this is obviously it's been here for long enough that they didn't immediately say this black paint, let's paint over this. No, let's keep it. Let's make it interesting. Stpo. (laughs) I just want to know what was going on in the cab of that truck. No, to the left, to the left, to the left. Abort, abort, stop spraying. I love this. Um, I love this, and, uh, and here's our last one uh, that's connected to, uh, to us as we gather here. Um, maybe we, we understand this, this reality as we're preparing 
<laughs> Someone wasn't aware of some of the differences in the ways that people celebrate. And so uh, there you go, Christmas decorations. I bet this is still on the shelf somewhere. I bet that this is a slow selling item um, and wherever this is, someone's trying to figure out what this looks like and so it's offensive. Um, when we think about one job and we think about what Jesus said to the church and what he said to this, it might be that we could boil down Jesus' words to his followers. You have one job, make disciples. As we think about the church, it could be if the church were asked what its one job was to be, that it would be to make disciples. So last week we pushed into this concept and we asked, okay, what is it that we really think is our one job? What is it that when we begin to understand what it means to live as a Christian, what it means to participate and what does it mean to, uh, to, to, uh, to live lives and have behaviors as a Christian, do we believe that the one job that we have is to make disciples? And I think if many, for many, if we we're honest, they would say, um, I think there might be a meme about my life if when it comes to making disciples that maybe you looked at my life. Um, and I think that this is, at least this is what I've discovered, that most of us, it's not that we don't want to make disciples. We know it transforms us. We know it makes an impact on people. We know that we have a chance to make a real difference in the world. Oftentimes we just don't know where to start. We don't know how to, to, to have the process of making disciples. We don't even know if someone would want us to be able to have leadership in their lives. And so what I wanna do today is I wanna kind of double click on this idea, on this aspect of discipleship that we looked at last week. And I want us to dig a little deeper into this and kind of figure out what's underneath that. And so I want to go back to kind of this idea that we unpacked last week and this idea that disciple making is taking intentional responsibility to help someone follow Jesus, to be changed by Jesus, and to be committed to Jesus's kingdom. So this idea of taking intentional responsibility, this is the kind of thing that I want to double click on and I want us to be able to press into this and to be able to say, what does it look like to take responsibility to lead someone else? And one of the core ideas behind discipleship is leadership. As we begin to say, okay, what does this really mean? What is, the, what is one of the core underpinning actions of disciple making or discipleship is ultimately the sense of being able to have leadership and be able to take responsibility. Those are things that, um, that we begin to see and we begin to press into this. And so the key reality is when we ask the word leadership and we talk about this idea of leadership, and this is what we're gonna get into today is, is really what does, what does leadership look like and how do we begin to understand this? One of the things that we need to kind of un, uncover and want to kind of peel back is when it comes to the word leadership, this is one of these things, it's like, it's like when we explore uh, God's intent for sex, it's these beautiful things that have been distorted and we have to ask the why question. We have to begin with the why. There's a guy named Simon, Simon Sinek wrote a book that said, start with why because when we begin to understand the why it helps us to understand the how and when we start with the why it's ultimately allowing us to understand this more so I want to ask why do we lead what's the purpose of leadership and if we ask ultimately if we don't ask why would we lead what is our motivation to lead what is our motivation to make disciples the how really doesn't matter so we can talk about hey here's how you make disciples this is how it, how it works but ultimately there's something that we need to get into and the very depth of who we are and ask, why would we do this? What's the motivation? And I want you to get, there's two types of leadership in our world, two types of leadership. One is rewards-based leadership and the other one is servant leadership. 
Now, these are fundamentally different. Now, they may look the same in terms of being able to have people that are uh, committed to the outcome. It might be that there's no difference in the skill, no difference in the, in the ultimate destination of the organization in terms of rewards-based versus servant leadership. But the difference lies in the motivation towards those that they lead. And these two types of leadership may look similar on the surface, but when the pressure is on, it always, the, the, the person who is driven by uh, rewards-based leadership always does best um, for themselves at the cost of those that they lead. It begins to differentiate themselves when the, when the pressure is on. How do they begin to lead those, um, how do they begin to orient themselves to those they lead? And what does that look like? The question is, why are you leading? And so how do you know if you're operating in rewards-based leader as a rewards-based leader or a servant leader. This is the key because to, 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 to be able to look at our culture and to be able to look at what it looks, ultimately the contract of, of really what it means for us to be either a rewards-based leader or a servant-based leader, this is tricky. And, and this is not... Um, uh, this is not something that's really clarified even in the church. I think in the church, this still, it still happens um, where we begin to have rewards-based leadership. And basically rewards-based leadership is this. It's the contract of I'm going to take the responsibility to lead because ultimately my motivation is to get something from this for myself. That there's something there that I want. And so leadership allows me to be able to have access to this reciprocal benefit to me. And so I'm going to orient my life to be able to take the responsibility to lead because of the benefit that I receive. And that's my motivation. And so ultimately, the reason that I'm leading is because I want to ultimately to have this reward versus servant leadership is to be able to say, I'm going to take the responsibility to lead even if the reward isn't given to me in that way. And this is, that might sound really simple, but it's a massive difference and how it really looks in the world. And so I want to go and, and really want to, to press into this and ask, how do we lead? Because leadership is everywhere. Most of you have a context where you're leading. If you're leading in your jobs, if you're leading um, in terms of influence um, or in, in people around you, maybe that's a personality kind of thing. Maybe there's a positional leadership that you have. You have a, a position of leadership. Maybe it is that you're leading your kids and you have leadership in your, in your children's life. And each and every one of those, it's either rewards-based or servant-based leadership that you're doing. And we need to be able to get to the root of this. And to do that, we're going to look in scripture and we're going to allow Jesus' words and a moment that he interacts with his disciples to really tease out what it means for us to understand the difference between rewards base and servant leadership. And so if you have your copy of scripture, we're going to be in Mark chapter 10. In Mark chapter 10, there is a fascinating story. And this, this story is so real and it's so raw. And uh, Mark's, uh, Mark's uh, understanding of the gospel probably comes from Peter. Um, Peter gives, uh, you know, if, if you know much about the apostle Peter, man, this guy is a, is a guy who, who kind of is a raw kind of individual. And we get a raw kind of story in this, in a very real story. And, um, and, you know, Peter, I'm sure this is seared into his memory when this moment happens. And so we're going to get into it. In verse 35 of chapter 10, um, here's what we begin to see. Then James and, and John, sons of Zebedee, came over and spoke to him, meaning Jesus. Teacher, they said, we want you to do us a favor. That's always an interesting thing when it comes to Jesus. Jesus, I need something from you. What's your request, he asked. They replied, 
When you sit on your glorious throne, we want to sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right and the other on your left. Now, I want you to get that this is uh, this thing that he's, uh, like, that there's an understanding of, uh, of this based upon uh, kind of an ancient way of seeing things that people would go to a teacher and ba- basically say, we believe that this is who you are. And because of this is who you are, here's what we want to be in connection with this. And so this is, you know, he's, when you sit on your glorious throne, this is subtly saying to Jesus, hey, here's, here's who we think you are, or, or here's who we want you to be, or here's, you know, th- they're talking about the prestige of Jesus. And in some ways they're playing to this idea of elevating Jesus that they might be able to be elevated among the other disciples. So here's what they say. We want to sit on your one on your right and one on your left. But Jesus said to them, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering that I'm about to drink? Are you able to be baptized with the baptism of suffering that I must be baptized with? And this next, this next phrase, um, this is so fascinating to me. They say this, oh yes, we are able. <laughs> oh man, in just a couple of years, they're gonna realize how ridiculous that statement was. And I'm sure Peter wrote that somewhere and it's like, okay, here's what they said. I'm gonna bring this back. So um, then Jesus told them, you will indeed drink from my bitter cup and be baptized with my baptism of suffering. Of course, he understands that way differently than they do, right? But I have no right to say who will sit on my right or my left. God has prepared those places for the ones he has chosen. And then it all, it all kind of goes crazy, right? Then the 10 other disciples heard what James and John had said. They were indignant. So Jesus calls them together and said, you know what the rulers of this world, uh, you know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. I'm sure that those, you know, uh, James and John are like, just like, oh man, like this is not what we were thinking coming into this whole conversation. We were thinking we were going to be promised, um, you know, positions two and three in this whole economy of Jesus. And now all of a sudden we've been, you know, we've been promised 11 and 12, you know, and, uh, and that's not going well. It says this, for even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve others and give his life as a ransom for many. This is one of the clearest moments where Jesus begins to help saying, this is, this is what leadership looks like. This is what it looks like for us as we begin to press into this and we begin to understand what is behind this and ultimately what is the motivating factor for our leadership. And we begin to say, why behind this? As we begin to be called towards this, what is the, what is the context of leadership? Now, let me just give you a little aside and tell you my thoughts on just leadership in the church. I believe that the full extent of discipleship is the development of disciples who are able to lead and develop others, not merely people who gather together for worship once a week. And the church has been designed to develop and produce leaders who bless and serve others. 
and that God's leaders and the, begin, and the gospel itself is uniquely designed to help build leaders in the world around us. And Eric Geiger says this, the center of the church is the gospel, but the center of leadership must be the church. I believe the church can be and should be the greatest leadership development organization in the world. I believe that with all of my heart. In fact, as we've tried to design a church, one of the things that we believe is we see how the, the entire gospel works out in the mission of God is it inherently creates leaders. And that if it doesn't inherently create leaders, then we're not understanding the gospel with enough clarity. Because what happens when we understand this one job idea of making disciples is that we begin to see that leaders are developed. And, and I believe that uh, leadership in the church must be at the center, that God has designed his people to lead and be leaders, and that disciple making is all about leadership, and leadership is influence, and influence changes our culture. And so we should be people that are orienting our lives around being able to have influence, ultimately influence that affects all of the world. And, and again, as we begin to think about where the church should be, the church should be one of the most influential places because it's the place of emanating leaders. And, and I believe in college towns, we should be one of the most significant players in ultimately creating leaders that change the world, that, that we should get this right, that we should be able to understand this because we have an impact. I was, yesterday I was, I was in Seattle and it was so cool to be able to, to be at a different church and have people that showed up to that church because they were impacted by their time in Pullman. And it wasn't a church that's associated with us. It was just another church and said, hey, my life was impacted by this thing. And I began to recognize the ripples of what we get to do and the ripples of how this begins to happen. It's something that begins to help emanate leaders. And these are not just leaders in the church. Man, we want to create leaders, but it's leaders in every aspect of society, leaders in business, leaders in education, leaders in the nonprofit sector, leaders in politics, leaders everywhere in the arts, right? As we begin to say, there's a unique reality about how you begin to understand leadership. I've had people say to me, man, I walked through all of these things. I walked through um, my my uh, major and I walked through an internship, but the place that I actually learned how to be a leader is in this moment and resonate, is in this moment when I had to do this thing and this, this aspect. And that really, uh, you know, as people are talking about running businesses now, he said, this is when I began to learn how to organize things, when I learned how to cast vision, when I learned how to lead people. And this is, this is not to celebrate this, this is embedded into the very DNA of the church, that what we begin to see is this idea that the church can be and should be the greatest leadership organization in the world. And, and I really believe this. This is what I'm giving my life to, to be able to see us being able to say, this changes everything. And how does it change everything? When we begin to have people that aren't the rewards-based leaders that we see in the culture around us, but they begin to be gospel-centered servant leaders that are radically different. So here's what Jesus says, right? But among you, it'll be different. Here's what's typical, that people operate in leadership and the contract is, I'll take on the burdens of leadership. And now let me, let me be really clear, that anytime we step into a place of leadership, anytime we place, step into a place of responsibility, this is undoubtedly costly. That good leaders take on burdens. That good leaders take and begin to say, I'll take responsibility of other people. 
Now, this is from parenting, like a terrible parent, right? Is the parent that doesn't take responsibility for their kids, right? And so you see them running around Walmart and you're like, where's the leader of this kid? called their parent because they need to show up on aisle three because there's a mess, you know? Uh, there's, there's some craziness going on, right? But it's the same thing. We just get, our messes become different. And, and what happens is what we begin to see is that, that leaders, I mean, there's, there's got to be leaders. And um, as we begin to, to read and talk about some of this stuff just in business, there's a great lament that there is a lack of leadership in the United States and in Canada today that there's a lack of people that say, I'll step up and take responsibility. And so when we begin to say, okay, what's gonna happen with this? I want you to understand leadership is everywhere. In fact, there's a lot of people who are in leaders that shouldn't be leaders because their motivation towards leadership is ultimately at the detriment of the people that they lead. But when we begin to see this, Jesus says, here's, leadership is gonna happen. But when you lead, and you've been called to lead, you've been called to make disciples, to have influence in this, your leadership must be different. It's got to be significantly different. He said, whoever wants to be a leader among you must be the, ser- this, the servant. And so this, this, there's this inversion, the contract of I'll take on the responsibility so that I receive the benefits of power, of authority, of prestige, of identity as being the leader, whatever that is that, you, that we might find. There's all kinds of reasons that we might have benefits to being the leader. But the contract is I'll take on the extra weight of responsibility to also get the extra weight of benefit. Not so among you, Jesus says, you will be different. Not that you won't claim the responsibility, not that you'll shirk responsibility, not that you'll all of a sudden say, I'm not gonna step into that. But the motivations behind why you would lead are fundamentally different. That you begin to say, I'm going to put myself into a place of sacrifice. I'm gonna take myself and put it into a place of being able to have responsibility, but I'm not going to demand that the benefits that ultimately uh, point back to me are given to me in this context. So here's what I want us to get. Like, what does it mean to be a servant? The origin of the word leader means this. It means to go and die. (laughs) Go leadership, yeah. That's pretty exciting for us, right? Sign me up for leadership. Um, man, Jesus' way is very different. Um, it is not go and thrive, uh, but go and die. So the original idea of leadership is go and die. But when you go to the leadership section in some sort of a bookstore and begin to look at this on Amazon, I, there's not a whole lot of um, authors that begin to say, okay, let me start off with this reality that leadership is inherently this call to go and die. That's not very popular. Most people want to hear about how they can get extraordinary results with minimum risk. They want to know how to get out of the box results within the box courage. And ultimately, that leads us to a place where we just have power dynamics that ultimately use people to accomplish other people's goals. That we begin to take and say, I'm gonna use you to accomplish what I want. And it's a power struggle. 
And we have what has happened from the very beginning where people don't thrive. Everybody doesn't thrive. A certain amount of people thrive and we begin to have the haves and the have nots, right? We begin to have people who are in power and people have, who have resources and people that are kept in submission to that. But the way of Jesus is that people would thrive and we would begin to see how do I go forth and die as being in the epicenter of the finding and the deploying of leaders. And we begin to have people that say, I want to take on the responsibility. Sign me up. I'll put my hand up when it comes to taking responsibility of something. And what I want to do, what my motivation is, is to go and to die. And in this, what we begin to see is there's a challenging reality. Like I said, leadership, it, it's, it's a sacrifice. And we begin to see this. It's a challenge. When, I first, when we first started Resonate Church, I remember um, walking into this. And as we begin to see more and more people being a part of this, I was radically unprepared for the weight of leadership. And I remember at the end of our first year, it was going really well. Um, there was a lot of incredible things that were happening. And yet I was being crushed under the weight of leadership because I was not prepared I was not prepared to shoulder the responsibility to be able to say, okay, I'm going to take responsibility for, for this thing. And it was, it was crushing. We send out our church planters and they go out into new towns and they begin to start new things. And there's this metamorphosis that happens in either, every single one of our church planters and they go out and this is that person. And about a year later, there's just this, there's this difference in their face. There's difference in their speech um, because they've, They've had the weight of leadership placed upon them. They've had to make decisions that affected other people. They've had to be in this place where they, the, the, the weight and the, and the locus of leadership was on them. And they had to say, am I going to do something that allows everybody to thrive? Or am I going to do something that I take advantage of this situation? And man, I'm so proud of our guys um, and, and the way it looks like, but it changes people. As we think about this, as you think about your kids and you think about what does it look like to go and die? <laughs> And your mouth's like, every day, Keith, I'm doing it every single day. It's a death. It's a slow, painful death. <laughs> but what does it look like for us to serve our kids, to be able to lead our kids, to be able to say, okay, my goal is not for you to be able to say, okay, um, I need you to obey because um, I have to protect my pride. And if we're really honest, there's moments, um, this, is, this is me, like where um, I'm mad at my kids, not because what they did is, is detrimental to them, but because when they disobey, it hurts my pride. And I'm just mad because uh, you owe me being able to say yes, dad, at every time, right? Not necessarily that you bear the consequence, but, but my pride is hurt, right? But that's, a, that's rewards-based leadership. That's not servant-based leadership in the life of my kids. Am I doing ultimately what's best for them? Am I parenting um, with laziness? Am I being able to say, I'd rather just be able to do my thing and so you know, I'm gonna create a scenario that requires the very least amount of work that I need to be able to do uh, for you. When it comes, for those of you who are in positions of leadership, maybe uh, you are in uh, some sort of a supervisory role, um, what does that look like for you to be able to say, okay, I'm gonna wake up and my motivation is to go and die? My motivation is to be able to serve the people that I lead and to be able to figure out how they thrive. And maybe they thrive directly by doing things to them or indirectly by running a good business or doing well at the thing that you're leading in your department or your, um, or your area of leadership so that everybody thrives in that way. And we begin to say, I'll sacrifice, I'll work what I need to be able to do to make sure that they thrive in this, in this scenario. For, for people, maybe you don't have a position. Maybe you're in a 
peer orientation. Maybe you're a student um, and you begin to, you know, there's people that follow, you have influence with people and are you leading them to a place that helps them to thrive or do you begin to watch yourself work to be able to help you to be able to have um, more and more context of, uh, of authority or more and more context of uh, just having the attention pointed back to you and being able to do those things or is it to, to help other people thrive? Is that be something, do you begin to walk into scenarios and begin to say, man, someone's got to take leadership. Maybe you think, I, I know this is gonna be costly, but I'm gonna walk into this. And, and my hope is that we begin to have more and more people that say, I'm gonna walk into this moment of leadership. I see that leadership is needed and I'm gonna walk in, I'm gonna take responsibility for this. Here's the reality, that there's still a lingering question if we're honest. Keith, why? And the thing that I never want to do with us as a church is to be able to just say there's a should and there's an ought to and there's an ethic and you just need to live up to this should, ought to, ethic. Because I think if we do this too often, what happens is there becomes a burden and you begin to put this in the corner of your soul with all the other things that you should be doing but don't think that you're very good at doing. And you begin to think, if I was a super person, then I would be able to do all these things. And this is just another one of those things that I should be this leader that, that, that gets up in the morning and says, go and die. But really, I just want to survive and have a little bit of happiness, Keith. You know, that's all I'm looking for. I get it. And I never want us to be a church that, that just beats us over the head and says, you gotta be this way, you gotta be this way, you gotta be this way. And so I wanna, I wanna say, what is, the, what is the sense of what fuels this? There's got to be something that's outside of you that fuels this. Because the internal thing that begins to say, I'm gonna go and die, that's in about 72 hours, like if you're really inspired by this sermon, like in 72 hours, it'll be done, right? You'll have the conversation with that person, you're like, ah, stick my eye out, right? I don't wanna lead you anymore. Um, <laughs> But the, you begin to say, okay, what's the motivation for that? Some of you just had somebody in your head that you thought about that. So um, <laughs> here's the idea. Why, 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 why? Here's the baseline question. For even the son of man came not to serve, but to serve others and give his life as a ransom for many. This is the key idea. And this is not a foreign concept. In Resonate, we go back over and over in this thing because here's the, re the realization. The reason why a servant is the most preeminent position in the kingdom of God is that the sole function of a servant is to give and giving is the essence of God. That is so powerful for us. When we lean into the gospel, what we begin to recognize is the function of God is to be a giver. And as we begin to have God flow into our life, we begin to see giving flow out of our life. And we begin to say, rewards-based leadership is looking for us to be getters. That we're trying to, to, to have something that we take and we're beginning to say, I'll do this if you'll do that. And the contract goes back and forth. I'll serve you in leadership if you'll serve me and in putting me into this place of control and power. But here's this reality where this whole thing gets flipped upside down. And here's why we begin to say, here's why it's possible for John, um, you know, for, for these two guys um, to be able to be number 11 and 12 on the bottom of the discipleship you know, power tree is for them to understand and 
that the sole function of a servant to give and giving is the essence of God. And if we begin to live out the essence of God, we begin to understand that the baseline, the baseline motivation in Christianity is that you're a giver. The baseline motivation in Christianity is that you're a giver. A giver. And as we see, man, the, the truth is that for God so loved the world that he, he gave his only son, right? So we begin to see this idea that God is the missional giver, that he begins to have this thing that he's giving. And, and we have to ask, is this a characteristic of us? Do we take the free gift of Jesus and do we live then in, an other, uh, in a way towards other people? Do we say, man, I'd really love the free gift of Jesus? Uh, the free gift of, that Jesus took and sacrificed his life on the cross. Man, what a great idea. And here's what, the, the thing that happens oftentimes is we think about this transaction of Jesus. And we think about the transaction of Jesus where we begin to say, thanks so much for all the difficult, I mean, I am so proud of you, Jesus, and I'm so in awe of what you did. But somehow there's this barrier to this understanding of what Jesus did now is so deeply connected to meeting our need that we Implicitly, and, um, and we naturally just begin to live out in the same manner as Jesus. And this is the difference between G taking Jesus as an ethical motivation and, and a model for us to just begin to live towards him, to be able to say, ethically, I should be a servant. And what happens oftentimes is this, is that we begin to think, oh, to be a good leader, I should be a servant leader. And so we try to do that. But at the end, we get really tired because uh, at the end of it, we, we're just like, oh man, I, I'm tired of being a servant. I want to be served. I, I don't think that we'll ever be able to take and to be able to understand um, how to be a good leader if we basically take this as an ethical statement of Jesus and not the sheer modeling of Jesus that we begin to have latched onto the very depth of who we are that we've been given something. And as we begin to understand, um, and our willingness to give is likely a thermometer of our understanding of Jesus. It takes the temperature of our heart. Our willingness to give is one of those things that helps us to know if we really understand Jesus. If we struggle to give, it might be that we don't fully understand what Jesus has given, that we have this mental idea of a transaction, that Jesus did this thing on the cross and we get heaven out of that. And it sounds like a great investment. And it sounds like a, just a wise thing that, man, I, I would rather go to heaven than to hell. That seems like a good idea. And so what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna assent to Jesus. But our hearts aren't really captured by Jesus because we still stay in this posture where we're, where we're takers and not, and not givers. If, if we struggle to give, it might be that, um, th that we have oftentimes seen Jesus as a benefit and not our personal savior. And sometimes I think that we've done a disservice to really how we've presented Jesus. And we've said, hey, this is this, is this Jesus. And here's how, like we, we try to give the logical thing. Here's, here's why it would be a good decision. Here's why your heart should be captured by this. And this isn't this isn't an ethic, it's, it's a relationship. I remember um, when I first started dating Paige, um, Paige and I had been really good friends and for, for years. And then there was something that kind of happened that began to spark something. But I, 
But I want you, there's still something that I, I looked at Paige and, uh, and I was interested in her and I was really impressed with her. And I, I thought, man, I think I'm gonna orient my life towards, towards doing full-time ministry. And man, she is really good at that. She is someone who's just, she is connective with people and she's really one of these great gather kind of people, but also she like manages details and like she can manage people's systems. And she's just really, she's the best that, that I know out of the few hundred girls that are part of our ministry. Like this is the, this is the best that like, and I begin to see this sense of being able to, to see, man, I'm interested in her, but, but man, I'm very impressed at the same time. And we started dating and, um, and again, my, my heart was being cultivated, but um, as we began to date, and we dated for, um, for about six months, there were these moments where, uh, where I, would, I would drive to see her. We were a couple of hours apart um, while we were dating. And on the way there, I would begin to say, okay, I'm gonna break up with her. And, um, and, and I'm, I'm there, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna break up with her and I would have all kinds of reasons to break up with her. And this is like, I'm just not sure if it's working. I'm not sure if we're just have the chemistry and maybe we're just really great friends, but not meant to be anything more than that. And, um, and I would get there and I would interact and there would just be this like massive heart, like, no, don't do it kind of thing. And so I never did it. Um, <laughs> But I remember there was this moment, like, there was this moment later on. And all of a sudden, I had this like mental idea, Paige is great, I, I, I want to be connected with Paige. But then I had a fall in love moment. Like I had this like, oh my goodness, overwhelming, my heart is captured. All of a sudden country music made sense. <laughs> All of a sudden, I was like, this is so ridiculous, you know, and, um, and, and why does it that, that they're always singing about stuff that doesn't make any sense to my logical mind, um, and then all of a sudden, it made sense. All of a sudden, it was like my heart was captured. It was all of a sudden, my heart was in it. All of a sudden, it was like I was so deeply, deeply in love that, that it wasn't a head thing, but it was a heart thing, and my heart was captured, and I was just head over heels in love, and it was, it was like this whole person experience. It wasn't just like this head, and I'm trying to talk my heart into it, but, but I went a long time in this dating relationship before I was ever, ever in love. But when that thing happened, it was a defining moment. And, um, and I had to tell her, and I had to say, hey, I'm, I'm in love with you. And, uh, and then the rest is history, right? Um, as, as we began to pursue this. But I want you to get, that there can be these moments where we have this mental kind of connection with Jesus. And we do all the things, and we're dating Jesus and all this stuff. But the question is, that's a weird statement, We'll delete that from the video. Um, <laughs> but the thing is, has your heart been captured? Because you'll lead, but you'll take on a cultural idea to this and it'll be a rewards-based leadership and maybe you'll try to be sacrificial, but until your heart's been captured by the work of Jesus, until you understand what you've been given, until you at your very core begin to wake up and say, he, he died for me, I'll get up and die. I'll go and die. That's the kind of leaders the world needs. That's different, right? That's different.
And as we think about this and we think about what does it look like, does your leadership of your kids look differently because of your relationship with Jesus? Are you are leading from a place of position in, your, in the marketplace? And does that look different because of knowing every day what Jesus gave to you? Are you in a place where your interactions with your peers uh, look different? Are you in a place where your disciples understand that you are orienting towards them because of the way Jesus oriented towards you? I want you to get, I speak from a place of screwing this up really badly. That, that in college, I had discipled this guy and at some point he came to me and he said, hey Keith, I just don't know if you care. And I remember being crushed by that. And forever I was changed when someone began to say, I think your leadership is actually for your sake and not for my sake. And this is not early in this. This was one of those things that I had been a Christian for a long time and been operating as a rewards-based leader before I began to understand that Jesus came and he began to say, not so with you. You will be different. So for us, when we begin to think about this, when we think about how this has worked itself out, man, my hope is that you will begin to uh, make disciples and that you will begin to aim your influence at the campus that you'll be able to say, okay, I wanna be able to step into this thing. And we begin to have leaders that are all over our college campuses, that in the marketplace, that in, in our cities, that, that there'll be leaders that step up and begin to say, I, I wanna take the responsibility to lead, but I'm not gonna take the benefit. I'm not gonna be a rewards-based leader. I'm gonna be something that reveals that there's something supernatural going on and that we begin to see disciples made and disciples made and people begin to say, it's not for my benefit, but for yours. Resonate, may we be a leadership factory, not, not based upon us as trying to infiltrate for our sake, but being able to understand that the very sense of go make disciples creates leaders. And as we become leaders, may we be leaders who are beginning to re reveal what servant leadership looks like. That we might be leaders who go back to the very essence of the word, that we might go and die, not because there's an ethic of this, but because it's been modeled to us by our savior, Jesus Christ. May that be what's typifying our church and our lives. Let me pray for us. God, I ask that you would show us what it means. God, give us a, give us a bigger view of what you can do with people who are sacrificed for you, who, are, who take their lives and begin to say, how, how can you pour me out, God? Now, how can you puff me up? Now, how can you take and accelerate my leadership for my own sake that I might be able to have all of these things that benefit me and we begin to, 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 to use you as someone just to get our agenda ahead, Lord, but help us to be submitted to your agenda and Lord, through that, help us to have influence. God, I pray that we would have significant influence and this would not be influence for our sake, but the kingdom would be, um, would be dramatically expanded because there would be people who look different, not so with us, Lord. Let that be uh, the mantra of us, Lord, that we would be different, that we would be leaders, but we would be different. In your holy name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Resonate Church Sermon Podcast. If you are a college student in the Northwest, or if you simply want to see college students come to know Jesus, please connect with us by visiting resonate.net.